Oh, dang. It's the Gary Canone interview special on the What's the Matter with Me podcast. So I'm talking here with Gary Canone, born 1964. He lives and works in L.A., His bio says his grandfather was crushed to death by a pool table. He played drums in the early 80s punk band, The Leeches, and he was diagnosed with MS in 2013. And the reason I'm here talking with Gary is he's an artist. So he has has like a particular point of view on having MS. Right. Glad to be here. Yeah. So many people experience MS as a tragedy of dashed expectations. And it's like grief and loss. And so I wanted to ask you, what's so funny, Gary? Um, I think that that has been sort of a constant in my personality. I, I don't have a rationale for that. But I... I, when I got MS and it, it sort of, when it started to take a sort of significant portion of my being and being an artist, I didn't necessarily, and I know other artists who have MS who basically it's not part of their work, but like I can't help but make it part of my work. So I immediately gravitated towards the things I like and the things that I'm interested in. So one of the things is slapstick. So, uh, you know, an example of that is that I made these very detailed paper chairs, uh, like, you know, ergonomically scaled that were, you know, out of paper, they would, they would basically be almost weightless. The thing that's sort of great about that is that, you know, a chair sort of is almost like an invitation to sit. And, you know, if you were to sit on one of these, you would kind of just basically fall. And I, you know, it's like I've fallen in chairs. I've, you know, there there are sort of experiences, almost literally, that kind of tie to that. Um, I, I don't think that somebody needs to know that MS was a kind of like part of that, but... I think, you know, if you do, like whenever there's there is summaries of me and my work, you know, I I, I mention it because I, I, you know, at least on an advocacy level, I I feel like I should represent as part of the gamut of people who are, you know, who have MS and who are doing things. I think that's important. I used to do this weekly. Now I do it just very often. I, whenever I suffered a kind of slight aphasia or, you know, basically when you can't hit the, you can't find the word in your brain that you're thinking about, uh, which isn't always, you know, which might be partially MS, might be partially my, you know, like aging, (laughs) but like I would make a sort of embroidery of all the words that, that week that I couldn't find. And some were common words, some were exotic. Uh, one recent week, it was like, I couldn't find the word she five or six times. So it'll be on the embroidery five or six times. Kind of failures to communicate 
like there's a Strutter Martin kind of like what we have here is a failure to communicate. I think that because my body doesn't communicate too well with my left leg and other sort of things that, you know, will lead to falls. Like my brain will tell me I've lifted my left leg often when I haven't. You know, the idea of kind of sending messages that have just sort of an ambiguity with as to what message is conveyed and like just kind of like words that are kind of like not common or, you know, that one would need to look up and place on a sign as a kind of, they're they're like kind of highway signs that are like interesting words like fakakta. I actually had a question about the signs because um, they kind of invert their usual, the usual understanding of signs is that they're, they're easy to understand. Yeah. And you have placed words like you said, um, fakakta and a lot of symbols and it, it unintelligible, unintelligible signs. Yeah. That invert the purpose of signs. Yeah. Thank you. I usually That's, understand. Yeah. No, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. I, I was working earlier today on, on a Rorschach blot sign uh, too. Uh, and I'll probably make a few of those, but I love signs that just have this sort of vector image of like bears to tell you that bears are in the area. And I just sort of imagine when you see something like an ink blot, which is this, you know, for me on a simple level, it's this psychological test, you know, what do you see in this ink blot? And the signs are are supposed to have a gallery as well as an outdoor presence. So, you know, some have some have been sort of just snuck on existing poles. Um, I've planted poles. And, uh, you know, I'm just kind of figuring out a strategy to do them, uh, uh, to put copies in the streets as well. Although the rub is that that I have MS and so I need to kind of find willing accomplices. And uh, but it's weird because, you know, it's like asking somebody to risk going to jail for you. I wanted to ask you kind of taking it way back here. And you said about becoming an artist, part of your inspiration was you attended a lecture by Vito Acconci. And I know that they're kind of just taking it way back here. Yeah. But I was curious, like, what he said that made you want to be an artist? Um, I think the sort of bluntness of him was really admire like I really admired the the fact that he was an Italian American and I kind of understood like Paisano's like talking that way. I, I'm Italian too. Um but ultimately it was the work because like I had gone to art school not really knowing in college, I had been in a magnet art high school, but it was all kind of focused on design. And I think I sort of thought I was gonna be a graphic designer, but basically I really just wanted to play punk rock. And uh, and I was, and but I really wasn't sort of 
um, even becoming a good enough uh, musician to play in this kind of music that you don't really need to be in a great music. You don't really need to be a great musician for so you're a very bad musician. Yeah, I was incredibly bad. Um, but but there were a lot of things I liked about, you know, punk and post-punk. And with Vito Conchi, it seemed like he was really kind of fucking around in a way that I connected with on that on that sort of level. I mean, that didn't mean that I was going to be an artist like Akanchi. I'm not, um, you know, he had his, it, you know, one can only be genuinely interested in what they're interested in. And, you know, to me, that's, that's the way one makes work that kind of, you know, has a depth, you know, maybe not necessarily in one or two pieces, but in this, in, in a sort of accumulated sense, but there was something about Akanchi's attitude and, you know, there, there's parts of his work that, you know, are misogynistic and, uh, and really kind of play with the, with the artist audience relationship, which is almost like sexually deviant. Um, but like, I don't know, to me, the fact that he was willing to kind of, you know, kind of cross those boundaries and sort of make make art the way he did um, was was and this is like you know like one of the first artists I see you know talk and it just sort of like you know it just wowed me like this is an artist this is like great you know and so at that point it was like oh I'm not really interested in moving stuff around on. Uh, two-dimensional service in order to make an ad for somebody. I don't necessarily say that that's a bad thing for anybody to do, but I just doubt, doubt that I would be good at it. So that's kind of, so the reason I went, I know that Akanchi is way back in your history. Like when did you attend that lecture? What, what, uh, what period did you play? I think we're talking 1983 or so. Okay. So you were talking earlier about your signs, which are more way more recent. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about another sign you did, which is the Malevich Black Square sign. Yeah. And YouTube Arte Povera and Piero Mantoni's name caption misspellings. Yeah. And you're kind of and with those works, you're taking art history. Like you're saying, out of its context, yeah, kind of to somewhere else. What did that mean to you? I why think, did you do it? Okay, um, a couple a couple things. One thing is like, I like I'm interested in translation. Like when you change the sort of uh, when you put wine, you know, when you put like wine from there's a phrase putting old wine in a new bottle that that always kind of resonated with me. It's like I'm putting, um, yeah, like in the case of the case of Majevich, I thought like, you know, he thought the black the black square is like always um, 
and constructivism in general has always been like a big, a, a big part of art history for me. Um, you know, to me, it's like a third, you know, people will often talk about the Duchamp, Picasso sort of divide of major categories. I think that Mayevich and a lot of post-minimalism kind of has a, has this sort of other path. So that's one part of it. With Mayevich's Black Square, it, you know, to him, it signified the infinite. And so putting it on a street sign, and that one, I did put it in, in the street in my neighborhood. I, you know, installed a pole and put it there. I think that there's, there's something about what does that image tell? You know, that image tells me a lot because I'm familiar with that history, but what happens when you put that image out in the street where somebody doesn't have the luxury that I've had of a, of this sort of like specific education in it. Um, I, I don't know if I have a linguistic answer, but it does something for me. And I mean, the piece is non-linguistic and I, and I think the, the black square painting works. And I think my piece works as not necessarily a critique, but basically, you know, on a really kind of goofy level, Hey, let's take, let's take Mayevich outside. Um, and I think taking him outside is probably something, you know, I mean, I can't mind read somebody who's been dead for a long time, but I don't think, I, I think on one level, it's a celebration, but also another avenue for the work. The, I do want to talk about the Arte Povera stuff because like I, one of my favorite performers when I was young was Norm Crosby. He, he would do these, his act was called Malaprops and he would play with like language a lot, but there was just always this kind of slippage he would put, you know, a few sentences, choose, substitute like words that sounded similar to what he chose. And it's just this great play. I mean, you know, in terms of like, you know, just kind of playing with language and signifiers. So when, uh, you know, a machine tries to interpret something and gets it wrong, we call it a, you know, a glitch. The closed caption errors are are funny when, when you're using one language, uh, when Arte Povera is spoken about, or, you know, it's called povera in Italian, you speak about it in English, and when you're speaking about it in English, you know, these words are dropped, you know, people's names, etc. And, and the glitch to me, at least on, on as being a kind of like MS, uh, an MS person, you know, the idea that you can't get to somewhere you want to go, that you can't communicate with your body entirely. That to me, uh, you know, when I see things like that, I take note. And, you know, sometimes in this case, you know, I was just writing these down as they kind of came along, the glitches. And, or, you know, and I think I call them errors in the piece. Um, you know, I wrote them down and I didn't actually think that that was going to be an artwork, but it ended up being one. And you have uh, some conversation with the uh, words you can't remember needlepoint. 
the needle point. Well, um, I was, I was, I started doing embroidery as like a hobby. And I thought that it would be good for my MS because my dexterity in my fingers and hand aren't really great. So I thought, you know, here's something that like, once I knew the basic, you know, what to do in order to kind of like move, move a needle around and like got a huge magnifier for my eyes. I basically realized that kind of like needlepoint, like the craft of needlepoint on some level is very simple, but the like real craft of needlepoint is the patience, right? You know, it's just the patience to make something very complex. So I started with the idea that I wasn't going to be doing art, but then like at a certain point, um, you know, it's like, I love words, of course, um, or I love working with language. And I, um, I first started like, you know, the first couple ones were almost kind of like, they were all fairly linear. And then I was doing, um, um, what's that thing that reads backwards and forwards the same way? I don't, I don't remember, but I know. Yeah, it's a, it's a para, like madam on madam. <laughs> a, way, a man, a planet, canal, Panama. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I did some, like, go hang a salami. I'm a lasagna hog. It's the same backwards and forwards. There's a little Italian identity there. And uh, see, another one I did, Uzi Rat in a sanitary zoo. These weren't things that I made. I also did optical illusions, and it became very clear to me soon that these were going to be art. And so uh, as I had been working with text, they eventually evolved into the needle points, which I think like are fairly, you know, uh, you know, in terms of my work, fairly popular. Um, uh, but, uh, they have, you know, they have a direct connection with me. I also would do monthly bloopers. I actually, this, this month I have a blooper, uh, like, a uh, uh, I'm going to do a blooper. Uh, we're going to, you know, have a blooper piece done. Uh, because I did, you know, I did some things uh, this month that was like, I, I drove, I was driving my daughter's school twice. I drove to my psychiatrist's office and, you know, yesterday I boiled some water and I looked in the refrigerator for about like 20 to 30 seconds for the boiling water I just made. And, um, a lot of the a lot of the time the bloopers are kind of physical mishaps, but like I also include these kind of like you know sort of just bizarre brain moments. Oh dang, Gary. Okay. In your work, why did you decide to address your disability through the lens of slapstick rather than advocacy? Um. I thought that that slapstick uh, would play to one of my to my strengths, um, and that, or even just sight gaps, or yeah, but that I am not 
cut out to be an advocate. I am really not cut out to be an academic either. I just, I just don't have the attention span. And I think that there's probably enough people doing it way better than I could have. Okay. So, you know, the plastic bone in a vice, yeah. rubber chicken under the anvil, those are slapstick, those are sight gags. Like, yeah. those are, but in a, just seeing them, I, I understand how the effects of MS led me back to slapstick, but I think that it says something profound about the condition of you, the artist, with MS. Or like you, or just getting older, the fragility and the tangential nature of existence. Yeah. Yeah, I mean those those are yeah those those are kind of specifically like about that. I mean, I think that I realized at some point that a lot of the objects I use are things that I've seen in Tom and Jerry cartoons. I didn't realize. I mean, I didn't you know think of myself as a Tom and Jerry connoisseur when I was younger, but it's sort of like it's part of like the object inventory in my head. The the rubber chicken under the anvil sort of came about was I was thinking about like what it what's in my studio that hasn't been used that might go together great. And and I thought about those things. And I went out and did it in the morning. And it, you know, it was like one of those moments where lightning struck for me. Uh, you know, the 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 bone in the the bone in the in the vice. Uh, I thought about a. I mean, I thought about. I think the vice and the anvil had been bought pre- earlier to kind of put things. Like I have this whole whole other kind of body of work that where I put things on the ceiling, uh, which also I think is relatively MS related because it for me like I feel like the environment or the built environment is precarious, and I kind of wanted to. To, to to create this sort of a you know something that seemed precarious and you know some of them actually are <laughs> a lot of your work seems to address that kind of precariousness you're calling it i was thinking of it as danger yeah you know frying pan on the ceiling it's not any frying pan it's a cast iron frying pan right and that's the heavy one and the weight room where the the weights are on the ceiling. Yeah. And that's like danger. And the bone in the vice and the rubber chicken under the anvil is like the danger has kind of already happened at that yeah. point. But there's a lot of, of danger in your work. And in a way, MS is like, I, I see that as someone with MS. I see it. We're always in danger. You know, our doctor is always saying, has anything changed? You're yeah. always like in danger of changing, which, you know, by the way, is guaranteed. This change is the only thing yeah. guaranteed. So that you're always kind of in the danger terror mode. 
Yeah, I mean, those make me uncomfortable. I mean, those pieces make me uncomfortable. You know, part of me thinks, have I done this well enough that it won't fall? When I have people visit my studio, I ask them to wear a hard hat. <laughs> well, another piece of that I saw, the milk crate staircase. Yeah. Just looking at that is scary for, you know, if, yeah. you, if you're to actualize or activate that staircase, it spells your doom. Yeah. And I have to, it's hard not to, as someone with MS, it's hard not to see the kind of guaranteed, what do they call it? Uh, degenerative neurological disorder. Yeah. Just the idea of degeneration of, of, of like being torn apart by time. Um, yeah. A lot of that is in your work. Yeah. Yeah, and I see it as no matter what, it's an act of advocacy. Even though you have chosen yeah. slapstick as your lingua franca in a way, it's still, as I'm a person with MS, I look at it and I see that dissolution that I'm telling you, and I see the work as an act of advocacy on my behalf yeah yeah that's that's kind of a good point because in a sense advocate does advocacy doesn't necessarily need to be a straightforward message it can be an experience um a simulated experience even you know it doesn't need to be uh it doesn't need to be uh you know about uh you know applying uh, crypt theory to which I which I do like, but I you know I couldn't summarize it for you for anybody really. Um, but that's you know that that's just really interesting to me. I just I'm not as well. I mean I'm just like not well versed in. I'm familiar with theory and stuff, but like I'm not really good at applying it or illustrating it in a way that's that's really beneficial for anybody yeah that, it's not your job right the works you make can be addressed by theorists yeah yeah but that's not your job right right but i do see it as advocacy on my behalf it would allow me to turn from the work and express to someone else this is how I feel these are the pressures, these are the tension and the dangers that we go through. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate you saying that. Um, I'm happy because I uh, I'm only like one person with MS, and it's you know it's great for me to talk to you and get your reaction, and that the work is you know is connecting for you and uh because yeah i just like have no way to easily access other members of the community um i mean i'm sure if i tried hard i could but um it's yeah. hard yeah that's why i started this podcast because i could right. find nothing 
where someone was like, okay, I'm going through this. It sucks, you know, but like, I'm also living my life and life is beautiful. I wanted to find that and not sponsored by a pill company. And I couldn't. So you're right. It's hard to connect. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast was to show an artist creating something like you're not making a pot. I don't need you to make a podcast. I need you to make your work. I don't need you to make theory. I can theorize about what is the meaning of your work. Yeah. And I find it meaningful. And so that that is enough. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's, we went through all the questions that I had. Um, can you, uh, do you have anything in the upcoming shows? I'm going to have four embroideries reproduced in a magazine that's uh, called Material. Uh, they're going to have a show of the contributing artists in in a lot, John Lautner house. Where can people go to learn more about your work and to... To. The the best way is uh, GaryCanoni.studio, um, and that's the that's the website. Uh, so it's G A R Y C A N N O N E dot S T U D I O, and that is a uh, that's my website. That's uh, it's not a dot com. It's a dot studio, and uh, it it. It's kept relatively up to date. Um, I, 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 I was kind of twiddling around with it earlier today, and I did notice that like I'm behind on links and things like that. But the actual artwork will, you know, I usually photograph it fairly quick. It's amateurish photography, but um, I kind of, you know, I, I just need to kind of get it registered and put it up. Um, Make it look real. It looks like a real thing, everybody. You will be fooled. You're going to think Gary is the real deal. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't have imposter syndrome. That's like an actual. (laughs) So that's good. Um, Yeah. And GaryCanon.studio is also my Instagram handle. Um, That's like the quickest way to see my work. Um, as it's as it's made, as well as things that are that are kind of adjacent to my work, which you know sometimes I'll put random you know mood boards. Well, they're just sequences of pictures. I've been playing with artificial intelligence lately, which I don't know if it'll make it. It might be for a book. Um, I have a book that's out called Debbie Does Dolly, which was kind of done in a using kind of group sourcing. Um, and that's, you know, you could go to Barnes and Noble uh, for that or Amazon or, or just check any, any store that makes electronic books. It's self-published. Um, if you know, like art history, basically it's about, I don't know, like somewhere between 400 and a thousand. I don't know the number. Um, puns, basically based on like uh, a film title that like has an artist name slipped in um, 
Um, and it's just like I like how you put that. It's slipped in there. Yeah. Um, and so it's a kind of it's a great bathroom book. Um, I like it. Okay. Well, I thank you for talking with us on the What's the Matter with Me podcast, and we should do more. Talk Would more. Love to. You have more going on. Keep us updated. Yeah. It's great to hear from you, the artist, Gary Canoni. I appreciate that. Uh, thanks for inviting me, and I've had a, you know, a pleasure talking. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Gary, for the interview. Surf it on over to GaryCanoni.studio. Catch you next time on What's the Matter With Me?